I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to Psalm number 1, page 374 in the Pew Bible, and the Bible app, you know the drill, it's right there on the screen, it'll take you right there. We're in Psalm 1, and just if you haven't been with us, last Sunday was a kind of a big Sunday for us, because last Sunday we concluded our reading of the Old Testament. And that ended the first part of the story. And if you haven't been with us, we're committing in 2017 to go through the whole Bible through the story, which is a narrative version of the story of the scriptures. Whoops. Sorry about that. So um, I just want to say, if you've been with us, if you've been able to, in whatever way you've joined us on Sundays through the Bible reading plan, I just want to give you kudos if you've made it this far reading, studying, and reflecting with all of us here at Grace. This is something we've kind of committed to this year. I just want to reflect back to you, just gratitude for being a part of it, and also to encourage you that if you fell behind or missed some weeks, the summer is a great time to catch up <laughs> as well, if you need to do that. Um, with the much anticipated and, and just heralded arrival of summer, while you can catch up, I want you to also know we're not taking an intermission from our goal. And what I mean by that is, during these next few weeks of sun and surf, we're going to be exploring an important part of the story that the story, this book, does not cover, unfortunately. And, you know, it's not, that's not a critique, because being a narrative retelling of the Bible, it makes sense that the more poetic and less story-driven books would not be included. Nonetheless, the five books that I'm referring to merit our consideration for they are part of the inspired Word of God. They are part of our Bibles. They have much to offer us in our faith and practice of following Jesus and being kingdom-minded people. And so we are going to be spending the summer looking at a section of the Bible known as the wisdom books. And the five books that make up this part of the scriptures include Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, or Song of Songs as it's also known, and the book of Job. So we are going to be looking at those books during these next few weeks and months of summer. And, and it's interesting to think about where the wisdom books are in our Bibles. You know, they're hedged in between the checkered and sad history of Israel that we've been looking at all this year and the encouragement and the warnings of the prophets where we ended the, just, uh, just last week on the other side. The wisdom books kind of caught in the middle of those two things offer us perspective, and they offer us perspective in the midst of where we've been in the story, but they offer us perspective in a much broader and universal sense. While we have spent 2017 concerned with unique events in which God reveals himself to the people of Israel, and by extension to us, the wisdom books are focused more on everyday, everyday issues, everyday things that we face as humanity in general. It's a, the wisdom books talk about the typical and recurring aspects of being alive that we all encounter on a daily basis. And so the next few weeks are going to be allow, about allowing the Bible give us expression to the way things are, you know, and to learn through wisdom how to function in that reality. And as I said, today we're going to begin with one of the largest books of the Bible, the Psalms. And the Psalms, if you've never been in this part of the Bible before, is a collection of sacred poetry and really songs of ancient Israelite worship. King David authored most of the 150 prayers and songs that make up this collection. But if you pay attention as you read, and we do have a Bible reading plan for you this summer, you'll notice a few other dudes who contributed to this book. Asaph, has, that's a great name for a kid. Asaph, uh, J, let me see here, Jedithud, He-Man, that's a popular one. And this was interesting to me, Ethan. Thank you for contributing to the book of Psalms. <laughs> 
right smack dab in the middle of your Bible. And that's really the thing. If you take your Bible and just kind of open it up to the middle, you're going to hit the book of Psalms. And right smack dab in the middle of our lives, the Psalms have spoken to and they speak for God's people as they experience the depths and the heights of life with God. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter where life has taken you. For centuries, this book, the Psalms, have been a common ground for all kinds of different people because they vividly reflect the full gamut of human emotion and experience. They express our gratitude and our joy with God, as well as acknowledging our concerns, our worries, and our frustrations. They give voice uniquely to our anger and our doubts, even as they offer us comfort and hope in our sorrows. And so this morning, we are going to be looking at the book of Psalms. It's a two-parter. John will pick it up next week. But this morning, we're going to first look at the book of Psalms by looking at the first song in the book, Psalm number one. And really, this is not only the introduction to the, the book of Psalms, it really is kind of like middle C on the piano, okay? It's the key to the whole collection. You know, on the, if you don't know how to play, if you know where middle C is and you kind of get, can start from there, you can plunk around and you can figure out that some tunes on the piano. In the same way, this psalm helps us to kind of figure out, gives us a thread to carry us through the other types of wisdom that are in the rest of this compilation. So you've got it open. Let's hear this very, very brief psalm, psalm number one. It reads, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yield its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked they are like chaff and that, that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So just quickly where we're going to be going this morning, I'm going to describe, as it's been outlined here, the two paths that are put before us. I'm going to focus on the key image that the psalmist gives us to understand these two paths. And then I'm going to clarify two important aspects about our journey of faith that we can't miss in bringing this all together. So we're going to describe the two paths. We're going to focus on this key image. And then there's going to be two important points of clarification so that we don't miss the fullness of what the psalmist is giving us here and giving us a key by which to read the rest of the book. Okay. Something you don't know because your translation is in English, just to underscore how important this first psalm is, is that in the original language in Hebrew, the first word of the psalm is, begins with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And interestingly, the last word begins with the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And this isn't a coincidence. This is quite deliberate on the, the author's part. Right from the start, David here in Psalm 1 is making a comprehensive statement about life. That's why he has this idea of the beginning and the end. Of all the different ideas, David tells us quite plainly, of all the different philosophies, of all the different ways in this world, and through history we've seen many and more continue to come, in the midst of all that diversity, it can all be boiled down to two paths, David writes, the path of blessedness and the path of wickedness. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked. Blessed is the one, and the one refers to anyone and everyone. Anyone and everyone is included, invited in this invitation. And blessed is the one, 
David writes. Blessed is the first word right out of the gate. Blessedness, as it's written here, is not what would, I would call our North American Western definition of blessedness. When David writes blessed, he's not referring to having a house, a three-car garage, two and a half kids, and four weeks of vacation. You know, we would say life is good, I'm blessed. That's not what David's referring to when he talks about blessedness. The biblical definition of blessing, and you gotta know it by inference here, the biblical definition of blessing is living well, yes, but living well in terms of wholeness. The, the great Hebrew word is shalom. This idea of completeness, of wholeness. It's experiencing the harmony and joy, the peace and contentment of living a balanced life. A balanced life. It's growing and advancing and prospering in all areas of life. Not just some, in all areas of life. But it's actually growing, advancing and prospering, specifically related to our relationship with God and out of that with each other. Within the psalm, Blessing is defined by implication. As you see right out of the gate, blessing is defined in contrast to wickedness. So we have to wrestle with what's wickedness. And wickedness, as you can pick up from that first sentence in Psalm 1, wickedness is about sin. Wickedness is sinful. Sinfulness. Wickedness is evil. And what do we mean by sinful or evil? Biblically, when we talk about sin, sin is going against, it's rebelling, it's rejecting the Lord. It's disregarding justice. It's disregarding righteousness. It's disregarding truth, honor, and virtue as outlined by God. It's basically going our way rather than the Lord's way. And what's really key, though, about wickedness when we talk about sin, when we talk about evil, is the Bible wrestles with it. While it will include things we do unconsciously, we don't even realize that we're doing, more often than not when we're talking about wickedness and what the psalmist is getting at here is this isn't a mistake, this isn't an accident. What he's referring to is a conscious violation with the intent to do harm. It's about malice. God has revealed his way and we say, you know what, the heck with you, I'm going this way. God says this is what justice is and we say, yeah, well, I don't care, I'm doing what I wanna do. God says this is what's right and we go, well, yeah, right for you but not right for me. The psalmist is talking about this idea of a conscious violation. The use of the word mockery in that first verse really brings it out for you because a, a, someone who mocks is someone who is arrogant. Their pride and their vanity leads them to arrogance, so they actually refuse to accept instruction. In their mockery, they actually make fun of, they taunt this idea of discipline or correction. And you're going to see this a lot in the wisdom books. That's what's being referred to. Not someone who didn't know any better, not someone who, didn't, who, wasn't a, who wasn't aware, but someone who consciously, intentionally, purposefully chose not only to go another way, but to stick their, their thumb at God while doing so and to make other people suffer and not care about it. So here we are. We have two paths. The path of blessedness and the path of wickedness. And I, don't, I hope you also notice that the way it's described by the psalmist, there's this this. These two paths are described more like a posture, an orientation, right? It's not a static thing. Notice the progression of movement. The, the, the one who walks in step, the one who stands in the way, the one who sits in the company, and, and catch that, okay? When you walk in step, some translations have in the counsel of, that's the beginning point. That's moving in the direction towards. So the first place we start is we move in the direction towards going away from God. That's that idea of walking in step or seeking the counsel of. But then from walking, we stand. We stand in the way. To stand is to stop and engage. It's to park oneself. So you're not just kind of walking along. You literally go, okay, I'm going to stop here. 
And when you stop, that's a different level of engagement. And then the final level of engagement, if you can picture this, walking, stopping, you actually sit. You sit in the company. You get comfortable. So another way to kind of think about this picture that we're given, this posture, is to walk is to think like the wicked, to think apart from the way of God. To stand is to behave like. I'm stopping, I'm behaving like those who are going away from the Lord. And to sit is to make oneself at home, to become like those who are living apart from the Lord. And this is, you know what comes to mind when I break it down like this? Very famous parable, the parable of the prodigal son, right? Prodigal son walks, then he stands, and ultimately he sits. And it's that, the contrast of how far away he is, not just physically, but spiritually, emotionally, mentally, from his father. And the whole idea here is the psalmist paints this negative picture to say, blessed is the one who does not. So what's described here is a sense of going outside what has already been provided, departing from what has already been established, of leaving home, back to the prodigal son. The son has been provided for. The son is established And the son chooses to leave from what's already been provided and been established. The son chooses, if you will, to leave home. So when the psalmist writes, blessed is the one who does not walk, sit, stand, and then adds the but. And the but is blessed is the one who doesn't leave home, but stays at home. Who stays at home. What's home? The psalmist tells us, blessed is the one who stays at home in the law of the Lord. And if you were with us last week, we kind of touched on this through the prophet Micah. But whenever you see the law of the Lord, this is a, the word of God. There is a multifaceted dimension to this phrase. When we say the law of the Lord or the word of God, we're referring to a couple of different things. First, we're referring to the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the specific instructions the Lord gave to the people of Israel. That's being referenced here, but it's not just that. What's also being refer- referenced when we say the law of the Lord or the word of God is the revelation of the character and purpose of the Lord for all people. God's word reveals his character. It reveals his purposes for all people. So it's not just about specific instructions, thou shall, thou shall not. It's also telling us, revealing to us something about God's character and his purpose for our lives. But it's even more than that. The very word of God is also a creative force. We say lots of things that we don't mean, right? Talk is cheap. But one of the things we see consistently throughout the Bible is God creates by speaking. When God speaks, things happen. His word does not return void, right? It does not return empty. God speaks creation into being. So another way of thinking of this idea of home as being the law of the Lord or the word of God is this idea that the very word of God gives us guidance. It directs us. It creates for us life. It brings life before us. It brings opportunity before us. So to stay at home is to stay within the specific instructions of God. To stay at home is to stay within the revelation of the character and purposes of God. But to stay at home is also to stay within the life, the opportunity and possibilities that God creates as he guides and directs our lives. And the psalmist actually takes it and pushes it a little bit further, and I love this. The psalmist says, Blessed is the one who delights and meditates on this word of the Lord. Two great and very unique words who delights and meditates. To delight. To delight is to find, first to find, and then to take joy. When you delight in something, you discover joy and you grab hold of it. To delight is to savor and relish 
all of what I just described, the psalmist says, to savor and relish the idea that God has given us specific instructions of how to live, to, to take joy in the fact that we know who this God is. We know this God's character. We know what God's purposes are for us. It's to savor and relish the idea that God, by his very word, creates possibilities and opportunities in our lives. He directs and leads and guides our path. This distinctive word, delight, really stands out to me. Because in the church, think about how we engage in community, right? When we talk about God's word. We talk about listening to the word of God, right? We talk about reading the word of God. We talk about pay attention, paying attention to the word of God. But when's the last time you heard someone say, hey, are you delighting in God's word? I, I myself, I don't even remember the last time I said that to you from the pulpit. Delight in the word of God. Delight in the Lord's instruction in your life. Delight in the Lord's character being revealed to you. Delight in the guidance that God provides. My friends, why don't we delight in the word of God? Why don't we find and why don't we take joy in that word? Why don't we savor and relish that word? I really was chewing on this this week. And you know what kind of came to me is, and maybe it was because Ethan's graduating, and, and this isn't on Ethan, this is on me. But when I was younger, when I was Ethan's age, and Ethan's way better about this than I am, and my daughter is as well, I heard my parents talk a lot, right? And I was forced, because I was under 18 years of age, to have to hear everything they said. But I didn't listen to a lot of it. And if any of you ever meet my parents, they will attest to that, okay? <laughs> I, didn't, I, I heard them, but I didn't listen to it. And, and part of why I didn't listen to it, if I'm really honest, was sometimes I was just busy. I had so much going on. I was like, yeah, 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 uh-huh. I was distracted. Okay, I'll, yeah, I'll get to that in a second. Right, uh-huh. I'll get to that in a second, but I'm doing this right now. And if I'm really honest, I heard, but I didn't listen because I was so full of myself. Right, okay, that's what you say. Yeah, but I know better. Uh-huh, right, okay. Yeah, that, that's the way you guys did it, but I'm going to do it differently. Yeah, yeah, I know, I, yep, I know, that's you, but I'm me. And here's the thing, thinking about this. I can think back to those moments when I was under their roof. I lived with them because they were providing for me and how much I heard but didn't listen. And you know, now that I'm older, you know, celebrating Ethan's graduation, having my parents over, saw them again yesterday for a birthday party, I look forward to my conversations with my parents. I look forward to my conversations with them. I enjoy listening to them because I don't always have the opportunity to get to talk to them. And when I do, I find and I take joy in the opportunity to learn from them and to share with them what's going on in my life. And you know what's interesting too is I enjoy talking to my parents so much that I actually enjoy, and this was not me as a teenager at all, I actually enjoy watching them talk with other people <laughs> because I glean from those conversations too. Why don't we delight in the Lord? Maybe because we're still stuck in that adolescent phase where we hear the word of God, but we're busy. Yeah, I'll get to that. I'm just distracted. Or if we're really honest, maybe we don't delight in the word of God because we go, yeah, dad, right. Thanks. Got this. Yeah. Yeah, I understand how that was for the ancient Israelites, but we're modern Americans here, okay? <laughs> Not our problem. Maybe finding delight in the word of God comes from maybe getting past just hearing and listening. Maybe just reading and actually seeing and perceiving the joy that we can find, the instruction that we can glean. I mean, do I, do you, do I delight in the realization that my father wants to talk to me? 
God wants to talk to you. That's why we have this Bible. It's not a, a rule book as, as much as, as it is a love letter. God's saying, I want to give you guidance. I want to give you a revelation. I want you to know who I am. Do I delight in knowing that my father wants to talk to me? Do I delight in listening to my father and realizing that my father knows and understands me sometimes better than I know and understand myself? Do I take delight in recognizing that this God wants to be known by me? and seeks to lead me into joy, into contentment and security, that this, this God has my best interest at heart. Do I take joy in that? Do I delight in it? Or am I too distracted? Am I too busy? Am I too full of myself to listen? The psalmist says, blessed is the one who delights in the word of God, the law of the Lord. The psalmist also says, blessed is the one who meditates on that word, the law of the Lord, day and night. Meditate's a great word. Meditate is this idea of reflecting. A, a, a better word, a better synonym I love is to mull, to mull over. Meditating is mulling over. It's working it over in your mind and in your heart. Meditating comes when you read it out loud. You don't just read it silently, but you read it out loud because there's something about hearing it that gets at you in a different way. We memorize wor the word of God as a way of meditating on it. And the best best picture of meditation is this idea of chewing on it, chewing on the word of God until we digest it. We just continue to turn it over until we internalize it and until it becomes a part of us. And you know what becomes a part of you? When all of a sudden you find it rises up within you when you weren't even thinking of it. When all of a sudden you're thinking, what would my father say? What would God say in this moment? And boom, it comes up. That happens when we're kids too, right? You have certain things your parents said, and have you ever had that shocking moment when you're like, you're in a situation, and at the time you were, weren't listening, but all of a sudden the word of your father or your mother rises up within you, and you're like, where the heck did that come from? And then you realize that's why they repeated it all the time. That's why they said, say back to me what I just said. Repeat what I just said. And you freak out, right? But there it is. There it is for you. This idea of meditate is a great distinctive word. And, and again, think about how we talk in the church about the word of God. We admonish each other, myself included. We admonish each other to study the word of God. We admonish each other to memorize chunks of scripture. We admonish each other to know God's word. And those are all fine. But what the psalmist is pointing to is do we encourage each other to get into the word of God? To get into it. To allow it to transform our minds and change our hearts do we let God's word not just be a part of how we think? You know what I mean? Where, okay, we have all these ways of thinking and God's word's a part of how we think. Or do we encourage each other to let the word of God change how we think? To change how we feel? And, and again, why is it so hard with God's word? In your own life, I know about mine, with other messages that I get that are important to me, a text, an email, Sometimes a song that I really love, I will, there's certain things that will grab me, right? And I will pour over that text. I will pour over that song lyric. I'll read it slowly. I'll read it out loud. I want to try to dissect the meaning of that. I mean, when Beth and I were first dating, we didn't have texts or emails. We were actually separated and we had to write each other through snail mail. And every letter I would get from Beth, I would read it over and over again because that was how I got close to her. And everything that, every time that she would, would write something to me, she not, she's taking care of the kids, okay. <laughs> This is really embarrassing, but this is getting my point. There are certain times when I would read it and I would go, what did she mean by that? Oh, all right. I get what she means by that. Or, oh, wow. Okay. 
And, and there were certain times, and I'm not very subtle, where I would even in my conversations with her go, you know, you wrote this. What were you trying to say? And my wife is very blunt, and she's like, I wasn't saying that. No, this is what I was saying. But you see my point? We get messages, we get communication all the time, and the stuff, the communication that really grabs us, we will pour over. We will read it out loud. We will digest it because somehow we want to hold on to it. You memorize song lyrics because there's a certain song that you just connect with. And then when you're at a concert and that song gets played, you sing it. You don't just, you, it's not just the beat. You sing the lyrics because the lyrics mean something to you. And the psalmist says, man, delight in God's word. Meditate on it. Get it inside you so that it doesn't just, it's not just something you know but it's something that literally drives your life, how you live. God wants his word to us to shape how we see ourselves, how we see our relationship with others. He wants us to chew on it so we don't forget it. He wants us to read it aloud and to share it with others so that it drives us, it inspires us. Our Father, in other words, wants us to be wise. God wants you to be wise. You know, we often have this view of religion that we're all slaves and lemmings and God just says, God's like a, a, a bad parent because I'm the Lord and I said so. Do it. I brought you into this world. I can take you out. But that's not God's character at all. God says, I reveal my instruction. I reveal my character. I give you continual guidance and direction because I want you to be wise. That's what you're going to see this summer through the wisdom books. God wants to give us wisdom. And here's the thing. Maybe this will help you. Wisdom and knowledge aren't the same thing. Wisdom and knowledge aren't the same thing. I can know the Bible. I went to seminary. I'm a pastor. I can know the Word of God. I can know the Bible and I can know the Word of God without living by the Word of God. I can live without letting the Bible, God's Word, inform how I think, how I feel, how I act. Because knowledge and wisdom are not the same thing. And for those of you who celebrate graduation, if you didn't catch this before you got your degree, catch it now. You may have a degree that says you have knowledge. You know how to gather information. And that's an, an accomplishment. Not everyone knows how to gather information. Knowledge is about gathering information. But the books of the Bible, and the Psalms especially, remind us wisdom is about discerning, judging, and applying that knowledge to life. In other words, God isn't Google. We don't open up our Bibles like we do Google. I'm going to Google that. The Bible isn't a textbook. It isn't YouTube. What's the answer to this question? Let me find the, the relevant section. Looking for information is one thing, and for many of us in Christian community, that's what we've reduced the Word of God to, as a means for us to find information. And God isn't giving us His Word, His instruction, His character, His purposes, His direction, just so we can have information. God is giving us His Word so that we can find and discover wisdom, so that we can discern, judge, and apply the knowledge he gives us to life, so that we can separate truth from fiction, so that we can know right from wrong, so that we can recognize that which is temporary versus that which is lasting. The word of God, in other words, is the voice of our Lord. It's the voice of our creator seeking to reveal himself, to show us a reflection of ourselves without him and to offer us a glimpse into the life we were made for, a life with him and a life in him. And the psalmist gives us this great image of living this way. What, what does it look like in terms of a picture, this blessed life? And the psalmist writes, that person, that person who's blessed, is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. 
It's like a tree. Trees are amazing. I don't know if you, I, I, trees are fascinating to me. Have you ever heard the word, this is my big word for the day, dendo, dendrochronology before? Dendrochronology? Word you can impress your friends with later. Dendrochronology is the science of dating events and variations in our environment through the comparative study of growth rings in trees. And at a bare minimum, you know about that, right? You open up a tree and you know how old it is by the rings. We used to live in Seattle, as many of you know, and we had the occasion to visit Mount Rainier National Park, which is an amazing national park. And I remember uh, having an opportunity with a forest ranger to see the cross-section of a giant 665-year-old Douglas fir. 665-year-old Douglas fir. Think, I, I still think about this. That tree has outlasted the rise and fall of world empires, literally. That particular tree was around to see America gain her independence and then later endure a great civil war. That tree stood tall as two world wars were fought. Trees are witnesses of history. They're witnesses to history. Trees are signs of stability and they're signs of endurance in a volatile and changing world. And trees, like the psalmist describes, when they're healthy and vibrant, they are fruitful. When trees are healthy and vibrant, they are fruitful. And trees are not just fruitful in the sense that many produce actual fruit that we can eat. All trees are fruitful to us in that they provide us with oxygen. One, did you know this? One mature leafy tree will provide enough oxygen in one season for 10 people to inhale in a single year. One tree. And as trees prosper, we prosper, right? For trees not only provide us oxygen and food, they also clean our air, they offer a home for wildlife, and they give us a means to build things. And so it's a, I think it's a great image that the psalmist points to. The blessed life, a life lived in delight and meditation upon the way of the Lord is like the picture of a healthy and thriving tree. It's a picture of stability. It's a picture of fruitfulness. It's a picture of prosperity. Now, if you're like me and I get nitpicky, you may have stopped with this picture and said, wait a second, but it's a tree. Trees don't move. Trees are stationary and we aren't stationary we move. We're on the go all the time. And that's true. Unlike trees, we move, of course. But remember, the psalmist doesn't say we are to be a tree. The psalmist says we are to be like a tree. It's not about remaining immobile. The point the psalmist is giving us in this picture is to remain planted, rooted, like a healthy tree, we need to be rooted. And specifically, we need to be close to a vibrant source of water. The psalmist highlights this when he notes that the stability, the fruitfulness, and the prosperity of the tree described is dependent upon the streams of water by which it is planted. Beloved, our plentiful supply of water is the word of God. Our stability, our fruitfulness, our prosperity are dependent upon being rooted, ingrained, implanted in the water of God's word. And once again, being rooted in the water of God's word is to delight in that word. The word of God preached, the word of God sung, the word of God prayed and sacramented together when we're the church. But we can't be watered once a week and expect to endure for our roots to run deep. We can't expect just to be watered once a week. And so what the psalmist gets at here is being rooted in the water of God's word is to meditate on that word, not just on Sunday, but at day and night. It's to mull over, it's to converse, it's to share that word in our homes and in our community. Being rooted in the water of God's word is to live out that word, 
to speak and act in such a way that the fruit of the Spirit is harvested. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. It's to let the oxygen of the gospel of grace and truth be breathed out of us and to make the building kingdoms of the material the building materials of the kingdom available to be shared with others. I want to be clear about what the psalmist describes here because we're we are a bunch of doers, you know. It's always the what's the what am I supposed to do? This is my first clarification. I've explained the paths. I've taken apart the image. Now I told you there were going to be two clarifications so we don't miss something here. Here's the first one. Don't miss in what the psalmist writes the passive nature of the image of the tree. The passive nature. What do I mean? The tree doesn't plant itself. The tree is planted. So are we. The tree doesn't water itself. The tree is watered. So are we. The tree doesn't grow itself. The tree is grown, so are we. This message, this word, isn't about rooting yourself, finding blessing on your own. It's about remaining rooted where you've been planted, where you've been established by the Lord. This isn't about watering or growing yourself, being blessed by what you do. It's living out of the blessing of the water that is the word of God, the grace that we've been given by God. Because in the midst of what we hear in the Psalms and in all of the Bible, we always come back to our central, the creed of our faith. The seed, as well as the fruit of our salvation, is not in ourselves. It's in Jesus Christ. Because think about it. You hear this, and maybe for some of us this isn't inviting, this is intimidating. Don't be intimidated. Because the truth is, as the psalmist paints this picture, none of us on our own, always avoid walking, standing, or even sitting in the company of the wicked. I've done it. We all get tempted. We all indulge. We all go astray. We've all been the prodigal. No one, no matter how hard they try, fully delights in the law of the Lord and keeps that law. We all grumble. We all grumble, right? We all pick and choose. We all miss the mark. All of us fall short of meditating on God's word day and night without fail. We all forget. We all get distracted. We all tend to graze on the surface of things. Walking, standing, sitting on the straight and narrow path, delighting, meditating, fully practicing God's word. Let's be honest, we don't do these things. We can't do these things. We need a Savior who can and who did we need a Savior to lead and empower us to live the kind of life for which we were created. And the good news, that's why we come to back week after week, that's why we're here, is that we have such a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus Christ. Jesus, another way to think of this psalm, Jesus is the blessed one. Jesus is the righteous man of this psalm. Jesus walked in step, stood along the way, and sat in the company of the wicked, but Jesus in eating and dining with and sitting with sinners never compromised or sold out to sin. Never. Jesus instead was a witness, a conduit of blessing through his obedience to the Father. And that obedience to the Father being a conduit of blessing was Jesus' highest priority and he never failed. 
Jesus is the blessed one, the righteous man, but Jesus is also the word of God, the very word that we're promised here, the word of God made flesh. In and through Jesus' life, we receive the character, the instruction, the purpose, the guidance and direction of God's word in person. We get it from the very mouth of God. And do you remember this from the Gospels? Jesus meditated on the law day and night. The law was always before him, the very word of God, and he shared. That's why people came in droves. He shared the wisdom of God's word with us. No one has ever taught us with such authority. We are hearing amazing things. And Jesus delighted in the law so much. He delighted in the very word of God so much. The character and purposes of God, the instruction of God, the guidance and direction of God. Jesus delighted in it so much that he even willingly offered himself to die on the cross. He gave his life. And despite becoming sin, despite facing death, Jesus' life prospered and bore fruit. His resurrection bore the fruit of our salvation. His resurrection bore the fruit of our forgiveness, our healing, and the fullness of our lives. My friends, blessedness is ours for only one reason, because Jesus lived the life we could never live and because Jesus overcame the death we could never survive on our own. Both the seed and the fruit of our salvation are born of the tree of life that is the cross of Christ. And by the grace of God, we have been planted. We have been rooted. We have been established in eternal life. We aren't just living for today, my friends. We're living for tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. By this same grace and love, we are watered by the twin streams of the ongoing presence and power of God's word and spirit in our lives. We don't just age don't accept that narrative. Your body's breaking down, but you're not just aging, slouching towards death. We are being grown for eternity. Do you know that? We are being grown, matured for eternity. And the fruit of our lives, the fruit of our lives isn't the stuff that is here today and gone tomorrow. The fruit, the true harvest of our lives is the fruit that lasts. Fruit born not by us, not by us, but fruit that is born in and through us. That's the first clarification, but to further clarify this, you get the full picture here. The blessedness described in here in Psalm 1, while a covenantal promise, it's not a divine recipe for success. Hear that this morning. This is not a divine recipe for success. The prosperity outlined here is not recession-proof wealth, or cancer or cholesterol-free health. The psalmist comes right out in this brief little song in acknowledging something we all know, that challenges and hardships are a part of life. Like trees, our lives, this side of eternity, have seasons. For every spring, there is a winter. For every summer, there is a fall. The psalmist assumes life goes through seasons. The blessedness of a life lived with God in Christ is not divorced from suffering or even death. The blessedness of a life lived with God in Christ is the assurance. It is the experience of endurance and fruitfulness even in the midst of and despite such seasons. And if you have been in this relationship with God, you know what I'm talking about. And if you don't, go to Psalm 23, a psalm that most people know that most of us have memorized, that psalm that everyone wants to have read at their funeral. Think about what that psalm says. The psalm 
promises that when we walk, not if we walk, when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it doesn't say we'll never walk through the valley, but it says when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't have to fear. Why? Because the Lord is with us. The psalmist in that same psalm goes on to write, when the Lord is our shepherd, when the Lord is my shepherd, I will lack nothing. I will lack nothing. You see, the wisdom of this psalm, and this is a good word, this clarification, because for many of us, many of us, our joy and our peace, let's be honest, our joy and our peace are contingent upon the seasons we're in, right? If I ask you how you're doing, you're going to tell me how you're doing based upon the season of life that you're in. But the reality is, and this reframing reality is, God says, no, you are blessed regardless of the season. And if your joy and peace is contingent upon the season of life you're in, here's the thing, you're never going to truly know joy or peace in your life. You're never going to have joy or peace. You're going to have what you think it is, but you're never going to experience it. Because it's not the seasons that bring blessing to our lives. This is the key. It's not the seasons that bring blessings to our lives. It's the one who makes the seasons. It's the one who provides what we need. It's the one who remains with us no matter what time of year, no matter what moment in our lives. That's the blessing. He's the blessing. And so Psalm 1 ends with a parting of the ways. Like the rest of the Psalms and the wisdom books, this Psalm reveals to us from the beginning and at the end that there is an ultimate distinction in life. There are two ways to live. Beloved, please hear this this morning. There are two ways to live. Not three, not four, two. Only two. There is no meeting in the middle. There is no splitting the difference. The Psalm ends with a period, not with a comma. And the biggest lie we live in in this world is to say you can have it your way. There's a third way, a fourth way. There isn't. There's no splitting the difference. There's no meeting in the middle. There's two ways and only two. And Jesus reinforced this same reality. If we don't like the Old Testament, Jesus didn't shy away from this either when he said, look, you're either building on the sand or you're building on the rock. Jesus said you're either entering rightly through the narrow gate or you're going wide left. We are either living on one path or the other, and each path ends up in a decidedly different place. Without the blessing of the Lord's presence, without being rooted in the water of his word, the psalmist declares we are like chaff before the seasons of this life, before the changing weather patterns, before the storms that come, the droughts that fall, we are like chaff. And chaff is the leftover part of the grain, right? It's the stalk, it's the skin of the kernel that remains when the wheat is harvested. It's the stuff we don't eat. It's the stuff we can't digest. It's the throwaway part of the grain, in biblical times, to separate the wheat from the chaff, right, you'd take your basket or your towel or your blanket and you'd stuff it full of grain and stalks and then you'd toss it up into the sky, right? Because the grain is the heaviest, it would fall to the ground. The heaviest straw would be blown by the wind and fall outside of the floor. The chaff, meanwhile, those very small pieces of straw were so light, they would blow away completely with the wind, Notice how this psalm ends, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. And destruction here isn't just referring to death. Destruction means apart from God, we both experience frustration and the disintegration of our hopes and plans while we live, and we ultimately experience it with the literal death of our lives, the end of our existence. The way of the wicked 
leads to destruction. Apart from the Lord, my friends, we are so fragile, we are so unstable, that like the chaff, even a light breeze, let alone a gust of strong wind, blows us away, shakes us to our very core, and threatens to fade us into nothingness. That great parable, the prodigal son, right? Where does the son end up? He ends up eating the food of the very pigs that he's been hired to feed just so he can stay alive. It's at that moment when he is farthest from home, when he literally is a pig, when he sees himself as nothing more, of no more worth or value than an animal, when suddenly the beacon to come home, to come back, takes place in his life. You sit here this morning And I ask you, are you feeling like chaff these days? (laughs) Are you being tossed around? Are you being blown away by the winds of change? We've got a lot of diversity in this room right now, and there's a lot of change going on. Do you feel like chaff, kind of getting tossed around, blown away? Are you feeling unsettled and fragile in in your life right now? Are you feeling unsettled and fragile due to the storms that are coming with the seasons of your life? When I said before that if your joy and contentment is is based upon the seasons, you'll never know joy and peace, did you buckle at that? Did you go, no, wait a second, that can't be right. I'm riding this sucker out because I'm getting to the good season. Do you feel like your life in Christ has dried out? Are the roots of your faith shallow? Be honest. Is the fruit of the Spirit that you hear about and you're almost like sick of it? Oh my God, I know all the fruit of the Spirit, yes. But is the fruit of the Spirit missing from the branches of your life? Do you not know joy? Do you not know love? Do you not know peace, patience, gentleness, self-control, kindness? If you're feeling dried out, if you're feeling tossed around, if the roots of your faith are shallow, if the fruit of the Spirit you know by in theory, but you're not seeing it on the branches of your life, my friends, then check from where your life flows. Where is your life flowing from? Because blessedness is not a status we secure. It is a gift we have been given. Blessedness is the gift that keeps on giving us life, that keeps on giving us refreshment, health, and growth. It's the gift that offers us faith, hope, and love through the living waters of the Word of God made flesh in Jesus Christ and the ever-flowing, never-stagnant, never-subject-to-drought presence of the Holy Spirit. Beloved, you were not created to be chaff. You were not created to be chaff that is blown away by the wind. You were planted You have been rooted so that you would make like a tree. Remember that joke? Make like a tree. Anyone ever see Back to the Future? Biff would always get that joke wrong. Make like a tree and get out of here. And the guy would be like, no, it's make like a tree and leave. Get it? Make like a tree and leave. The psalmist is saying, make like a tree. Make like a tree and not leave, but rise and grow. Make like a tree, become fruitful and prosper. Stand tall by the grace of God as witnesses to life, our eternal life in the orchard, in the kingdom of God. Amen.